0: So just a little bit about myself before or while we wait for the parents to come back. Uh, I have been at Northview Community Church since 2014. I graduated from Columbia Bible College uh, out in Abbotsford uh, in 2016, and so I've been a pastor for about five, four years. Math's hard. I'm not too sure. And so I've been at Northview doing the high school pastor thing for a while. Uh, I'm in the middle of my master's program. Uh, Doing that, I'm in my second year, and so I have two more years after this. So I'll be have my master's in divinity, which is cool. Um, Don't really know why it's called divinity, but it is. Uh, My wife is Danae, and she also works at North U. She runs our apprenticeship program, so kind of like interns. And so she does that, and she's also in uh, her master's full time in a master's in counseling. Um, I learned recently it was not biblical counseling; that is just regular counseling. Uh, so I've been corrected, and now I know more, so that's good, but yeah, so yeah, I've been doing the whole youth pastor thing for uh, a little bit now, uh, I started being a youth leader in 2012, and then have just stayed with the youth ministry ever since, um, yeah, I became a Christian 2011, uh, where uh, God met me in a field, and he's like, hey Luke, uh, you're mine now, and I'm like, cool, let's go. Um, and it's just a, a wild story of how, like, I grew up in a Christian home, but I hated Jesus, hated Christ, and then God won me after I left high school, and my life has been changed drastically. And so, very excited to be here with you uh, this morning. Uh, I love preaching God's Word, and so where we are now, we're in Isaiah 43. So if you have a Bible, uh, we'll be looking into Isaiah 43. So you turn there, I'm just going to pray, and then uh, we're going to dive in, okay? Uh, So, Father, we are grateful for who you are. We're grateful for your word, that you actually reveal yourself in your word uh, so that we can actually know you. So, Father, I pray that these words in this scripture, um, they, they, they touch our hearts so that we can know you more, and then our affections for you to be stirred, which actually goes into an outward direction. Father, I pray that often for what your word is. Uh, and that will be uh, trained, corrected, uh, and everything for righteousness' sake uh, will happen in us today. God, we're good and we trust you. Amen. Awesome. So, uh, I grew up in, so I moved to Abbotsford when I was in grade two. Before that, I was in Saskatchewan, and before that, I was in Burnaby. While well, I was at Saskatchewan, I was having a birthday party, uh, and it was grade one, and where every good 90s kid goes for a birthday party, McDonald's, right? When the play places were legit, and everything smelled like urine. It was it was amazing. It was every kid's dream. And so I'm, I'm there in the play place, having the time of my life. I had a cheeseburger, some chicken nuggets, and it was just a fun time. And then my dad's like, okay, Luke, Luke in the party, whatever, time to go, So I get out of the ball pit, balls are everywhere, I come out and I see my dad, I go, I pull on his jeans, dad, I'm ready to go, to my surprise, he turns around, and it's not my dad, and then so I pee, and then, like, so I'm like, I'm looking at him, I'm like, that's not my dad, and I'm looking at him, he's looking at me, he knows I'm not his kid, and so I like, like, start to cry, and my dad's like, oh no, Luke, I'm over here, I'm over here, And I'm like, oh, thank goodness. I say that because um, we need to know who our dad is, who our heavenly father is. Like, how how sad of a story would that be if I pull on the man's pants? He turns around, he looks at me. I look at him like, ah, it doesn't quite look like my dad. Ah, whatever. Like, I follow him to his car, I get into his vehicle, and I go home with him. Like, somewhere along the lines, I'm like, is this my dad? Like, this is not the car I came in, Uh, this this is not the house that I live in, this is not my bedroom, I don't know who these weird people are. Like, it's absurd, right? Like, the further I got with this strange man, it would have been like, Luke, this is not your dad, this is not a safe place. So I share that because I think so often as we don't know who God is, that we don't know him well enough to recognize a false god. And then we see the false God and we just continue to go from thing to thing with this false God, with this false father. And it can actually get us to situations that are not good. And see, this is actually the plight of Israel all the time is constantly they see who God is and they love God. And then all of a sudden it switches and they start like taking an idol here an idol there. They start like looking at the, the other country's gods and they're like, maybe that god would be better. Like they have a cool golden calf. What if we, what if our God was a golden calf? Let's worship the golden calf. And then little by little, like they start to fall away from God. They start to move away from Yahweh. They start saying no way. They start following someone who is not actually God. They find themselves far away. From where God had them to somewhere in a foreign land, in a foreign place. And that's where we are in Isaiah 43. See, the first half of Isaiah, or the half, like 40 chapters, is Isaiah telling the people, hey, turn back to God or else you will be exiled. Like, like, turn back to God. Stop, Stop believing in these idols. Stop believing in these false gods. And then the second part of Isaiah is actually, it's while Israel is exiled, while they're in captivity, hey guys, turn, come into know God. He will save you. Turn from your sins. This is exile. Now c- come back to God. Come back to the one who knows you, who has named you, who has saved you. Come back to him. And that's where we are in this passage. So I have two points. Uh, our, our first point is to know God. We are to know God. And then my second point is know gods. So we are to know who God is, and we are to have no other gods. So that's where we'll be going today. So we're going to dive in to see what does it mean for us to know who God is. So first point, know God. We're going to read from uh, chapter uh, 43, 1 to 7. So you can follow along with me. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So Isaiah is preaching to the Israelites, being like, "People, this is who God is. You are precious in His eyes. He wants them to know that in the midst of uh, whatever is going on, in the midst of being exiled into a foreign country, this is who God is, and His love." defines you. The fact that he calls you precious Israel defines you. This, this all-consuming, all-powerful love defines you, Israel. Don't you know that, Israel? This love makes you who you are, Israel. And that's what we see in this passage, that the love of God defines people. It actually makes you act a certain way. So, I, like an example, like I was, uh, I was watching Grease a couple weeks ago, uh, the movie Grease, Danny and Sandy. Yeah? You nod with me if you, you know of the movie? No? Some people know? Anyways, Danny, Sandy, great, great movie. It's a musical. There's dancing. There's, I love the style of the greaser, the leather jacket, the white shirt. I think it looks real cool. Um, pants are a little tight, though. That's fine. Uh, So there's Danny, who's this hard greaser. Uh, He goes to Australia, meets Sandy on this vacation, and he becomes like this lover boy, Danny. And she sees this Danny who is soft, who is kind, who is lovely, and she's like, oh, this guy's awesome. Turns out after summer vacation is over, they go back home, and Sandy moves to where Danny is. And Sandy sees Danny, and she's like, oh, I'm going to get this lover boy. The guy, the guy who loved me and cared for me is so kind to me. But when she meets Danny again, Danny's acting all tough. Like he's in front of his friend and he's like, ah, this chick doesn't really care. She doesn't really matter that much. And you see the the conflict of the movie for Danny is like, who is he gonna be? Is he going to be this guy who is influenced by his love for Sandy and Sandy's love for him? Or is he gonna act like it doesn't matter? And just go and hang out with the boys. And have a good time. See, Danny forgot who he was. This this lover boy. This guy who loves this Sandy. I say this because I, 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 that reminds me of me so much of the time. Of someone who is sees this great love. And how this love defines me. Yet I act like it's not even there sometimes. Like it's just, it's like... I just ignore the fact that God has called me precious, that he's actually called me his. And I think we as a culture, we, we get that confused. We, we forget that this, this love that God has for us actually calls us to so much more So do we actually know who this God is who says, you are precious? See, Israel is confused. They they have no idea who this God is. They don't know that the love of God defines them who they are. They don't know actually knowing God, having a relationship with God is what God wants. That actually knowing him actually leads to eternal life. This is what Jesus says in John 17. He says that this this he call he actually calls what eternal life is. He says this is eternal life that you may know the Father and the Son Jesus Christ. This is what he calls eternal life. The eternal life that we usually think is somewhere in a far off place. Jesus is like no, eternal life is knowing who God is and who his son is. That's eternal life, knowing him. Do we know that like do we know him that well? Like, look at the language Isaiah says. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for you. He says, I give Egypt and Seba for you. Do you know this is the who the who God is? This is the kind of character that He is. He gives you this. This is what He does. Look what God gave up for Israel. This is what he says. God gave up for Israel to have Israel, a people group that kept rebelling and rebelling and rebelling again and again and again. This is what God did. God saved them. God set them free. God gave them life. He exchanged peoples for them. If God did this for one specific nation, what does God do for everyone What does God give the opportunity for every person? He he gives so much more than just other nations, just another people group. He, he He ends up giving his son. When he says, you are precious in my eyes, how precious are you, church? How precious are you to God? Does this preciousness define you? This doesn't define who you are, how you live, how you act. So we see, if we look into the, the New Testament, if we look in Romans, um, Paul is wanting to, know, wanting to tell the, the, the church of Romans that despite the, the present sufferings, despite everything that's going on in your life, despite the hardships, the, the, everything difficult, that there's going to be a, a, a future glory that is so amazing one day. So this is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 to a church who is struggling with suffering. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardships or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As this is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will, able, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's all-consuming love becomes our identity. What, what can separate People from God, nothing. The one, God, the one who sent his son so that the people could come to him. Like when, when, when Isaiah says peoples were given up, God ends up giving one person his son for us. Is that, is that not incredible news? That someone like us who were so far away from God, he sent Jesus. To die a death that we deserved so that we could have life. That is all-consuming love. That it defines us. So if this, if this promise was here in the Old Testament, how much more greater is it now because God gave himself up. No longer people groups. No more other sacrifices. No more sheep, no more goats, no more calves. But God himself. What does this say about who he wants you to be? What does this say? Look how loved you are, how cherished you are. We see, if we take a look at another New Testament passage in Galatians, uh, we see Paul is again encouraging another church um, to go back to believing the gospel, that in in Galatians, church there 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 was these false teachers coming in and adding on to the law and Paul's like no go back to the gospel go back to Jesus see see what Jesus did and so this is what he writes in Galatians 4 but when the but when the time, the set time had fully come God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, a spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You, if you believe who Jesus says he is, that God sent him, that he died, that he rose again, that he's ascending, that he's sitting right hand of the Father as we speak, judging all of creation, if that is you, you are royalty. You are a prince. You are a princess. You are an heir to the throne. If that is true, if you all are royalty, if we are all heirs, do we act like it? Like, do we take this knowledge of who we, of who God is, Push it to who we are, that we are precious, that we are heirs, not only saved, but sons of the king. Do we act like we're sons of the king, like we're daughters of the king? Do we act like it? Do we act like we are royal? In your business dealings, do you act like a son or a daughter of a king in the community? Can people tell that you are the child of a royal? Do you show what it looks like to be a son, a daughter, a child of the one true king? How do you treat your kids? Do you treat them like they are royalty as well? Do you treat your spouse like you are like they are royal? Like they have this royal birthright. Do we treat people like that? Do we treat do we treat non-Christians, ones who are made in the image of God? Do we go out in the community and, and, and treat them well? Are we known? Do we have a do people have a good taste in their mouth after leaving the presence of someone who is God's royal child? Do we pay respect to God so that when people see us, when people talk to us, and they say, wow, well, I like. I just like that person. I, I I I like God more because of how they acted, because how they treated me with dignity, with respect. Are you someone who is an ambassador for your heavenly Father? How do you how do you treat this this family? As as Nick was saying, like we are all brothers and sisters. Do we do we act like this is actually one big family? Does everyone have a place to go when they're lonely, when they're sad, when they're hurt, when they're broken? Is this, is this a church family? A, a people who gather among one another to love and encourage and equip. Not when the times are just easy, but when the times are hard. Are, are we a people who are like that, who show that God's royalty goes into all sorts of people? It's not a specific people group. It's not just Israel anymore. It is all nations. Do we demonstrate that? So basically, do, do we know enough about who God is to live in light of who he is? Uh, there is a rapper uh, slash pastor, which is such so cool that there's pastors who can be rappers. Um, that's my dream one day. But anyways, his name is An uh, Incredibly rich theology in his lyrics of music. Um, yeah. Anyways, listen to him sometime, uh, but he's also a pastor. And so this is from one of his sermons uh, called Doxology. And this is what he says. Theology is a study of God, and it's very important. Doxology is an expression of praise to God. So then the point here is that all theology should ultimately lead to doxology. If theology doesn't lead to doxology, then we've actually missed the point of theology. So if you have theology without doxology, you just have dead, cold orthodoxy, which is horrible. On the other side, we have people who say, forget theology, I just want to praise. But if we have doxology without theology, we actually have idolatry. Because it's just a random expression of praise, but it's not actually informed by the truth of who God is. So God is concerned with both. He's concerned with an accurate understanding of Him, and that accurate understanding of Him leading to response of praise, adoration, and worship towards Him. Do you know Him? Because it's the theology that leads to doxology. Is your theology well enough that it leads to an accurate worship Of God. And that's what we're going to look into next. The no gods. Are are, are there idols? Do we have idols in our lives? Are Are there idols that are pushing into our lives and pushing up on our relationship with God, trying to supersede? Is our doxology actually right? So we're going to continue reading in Isaiah 8 to 13. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the people assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witness to prove them right and let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God, also henceforth I am He. There is no one who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? So what we see in here, we actually see a a repetitive theme in Isaiah, That there's tons of idols in Israel. Uh, Isaiah is actually so brutal at one point that he says, You chop a tree down, half of it you cook your food, the other half you bow down and worship. How ridiculous is that? That you have to create your own God out of the same wood that you cook your food on. Israel, you are ridiculous. And so we, we look at that and be like, yeah, that's silly. Like, we don't have, like, carved idols. Right. But, like, we have other things. We make gods out of other things. Israel sometimes actually made, like, decent gods. So one time in Exodus, right, right after Moses delivered Israel out of Egypt, parting of the Red Sea, took them to Mount Sinai, right? They, they have just seen some incredible things, Right. The Red Sea parted, covered back on the Egyptians. They saw ten plagues. Crazy things happen to the Israelites. So they get out of Egypt. Moses goes up the mountain to go meet with God. Moses has gone a little while, so the Israelites get a bit anxious, and they go to Moses' brother and like Aaron. Like, man, we need a God. Moses is clearly dead. He's clearly gone. He's been gone too long. And so... Uh, what can you do for us? We'll give you all this gold, and why don't you like, make something for us? Aaron's like, okay, I'll make a new god. Aaron makes a golden calf. Puts it out, and everyone starts worshiping, getting drunk. It's, it's a wild party. Moses comes back down the mountain, and he is furious. Aaron is like, well, I just, I just threw a bunch of gold into the fire, and the calf popped out. It was not my fault. And Moses is like, okay. Sure there, Aaron. But the funny thing is about this story is that Aaron uses the name for God in this story. He calls the calf Lord. He, that's what he calls the calf. He's like, this is the Lord who saved you. Which is so interesting that Aaron is still acknowledging that God saved him, but he's now saying that this is the, this is the calf. This is the one that saved you, this golden calf. And idolatry, so okay, So, calf was meant back in that day for being like this strong and massive, mighty creature, right? The golden calf, young, strong. And so Aaron's idea behind it was that God, this, is, this is symbolizing God's strength. But the thing about idolatry is even taking one portion of who God is, as accurate that, as that may be, and expanding it, to be more important, or the only thing that there is, is not God. That's not who God is. You can't just take one attribute of who God is and make that God. God is all, or God is nothing. Because if, if God can just be parted, that we can just take out parts that we like, that's a God of our own human constructs. That's not actually who God is. See, God is what we call simple. There's not parts, not parts of who God is. God is all love. God is all righteous. God is all holy. His love is holy and righteous. His righteousness is holy love. There's there's no parts that you can just take out one from another. But we as humans can make idols out of anything. John Calvin famously says, our hearts are an idol factory. We can, we can pound out idols whenever we want. We have no problem with that. We can make these chairs our idols. We can make our clothes our idols. We can make our work our idol, our spouse our idol. We have no problem with putting something that should be well below God, pressing up on our, our relationship with Him, and actually put it on top. We, have, we do that very easily in our culture. We can easily supersede God's relationship with us and put anything else above that. John Piper, who is a pastor, a theologian, um, he talks about what an idol is. And he's like, what is an idol? Well, it, it is the thing. It is the thing loved or the person loved more than God, wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God, enjoyed more than God. So we see so we see in Aaron and Moses that this calf was actually desired more than God. This part of God's character was desired more. We like we're going to actually take like it's the modern equivalent of people taking their Bibles and cutting out the parts of scripture that they don't actually like. Just getting rid of it. That's the same equivalent of what Aaron is doing. I, don't, I just don't like these certain parts of God. I really like this one, though. This one's nice. So do we, do we actually know that? Do we know who God is fully? And that he is simple. That we know that he is not parts. We know who God is. That we can recognize who he is not. As, as God is saying in this passage, in Isaiah 43, there are no gods before me, and there's no gods after me. There are no other gods. As Shailen says, it's just random praise if your theology and doxology aren't together. If you have just great praise, great acts of service, but you don't have the right understanding of God, it becomes all meaningless because you are not praising God. That is a God made up in our own minds. And that's where we can go for so long. So long in the same car with someone we think is God, but actually is not. We get in that car, looks close enough to my dad, but it actually not. Um, So where do you put your hope? Do you have an accurate understanding of actually who God is to put your hope in him? Or is God still a little fuzzy for you? And I, I invite you, come to know who God is more so that you can know who God is not. We have, we have the scriptures who actually reveal. And Jesus says, like I, I, he is re- the, revealed in the scriptures. He shows who the Father is. Jesus shows the character of who God is. So does the Old Testament. God, God's written word of who he is in the Old Testament. God doesn't change. God stays the same, and so the Old Testament and the New Testament are all beneficial for us to know fully who God is. And so we look at this. We look, we look at what we have here. Because these other gods will come and go, and they're not real gods anyways. But God, but God so strongly knows that he is the best, that he is the only one. Listen to the last line. Also henceforth, I am he and there is none who can deliver from my hand. Now get this, I work, and who can turn it back? Who, who can reverse this, what I am doing? Who can reverse what Jesus has done? Who can reverse that? Nobody. Uh, I love playing spike ball. Uh, I think it's a, a great game. If you don't know what spike ball is, it's a, a little circle, and you just hit a ball onto it, pass back and forth, kind of like volleyball, except with a circle, and net. It's fun. I got the opportunity to play um, the number one player in Canada, and I think number four in North America. Super good, and I was just I I love I love playing spike ball, but it just showed a, a vast level of difference between us. Uh, I got really annoyed when he stopped trying, um, and but then I'm like I'm like his name Justin. I'm like Justin, give me the sauce. Like hit like play me like I'm actually like competitive. He's like, okay, that's a stretch. I'm like, oh, hurtful. And so he just hits it. I'm like, there's not a chance. I can't, I can't get it. And there's, no, there's no, nothing I can do to ever turn the score back. He just keeps getting point after point after point. And I'm like, there's nothing I can do. I felt like I was paralyzed. Like, it was just that much of a difference. And he's like, obviously, he, he's like, we're friends. And so he's like, he's like Luke, are you, are you going to try now? Are you going to start trying? I'm like, yes, I'm trying it's just frustrating. I'm like, I can't do anything to turn this back. Like, I can't score back. I can't even touch the ball. This is, this is frustrating. God's saying that is the same image. Who can go against me? Who is better than me? Go, show, show me your gods. Show, show me what you worship. You think, I will tear them down brick by brick. No, no god can compare to me. Well, Your idol of what? Family? I'm better than your family. What? The the idol of what your what your neighbor has better stuff than you? So you're saying your neighbor's stuff is better than me. That's tough. Oh, 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 physical health is the most important thing. That everyone has to be healthy all the time. That's the most important thing in this life. That's your God. That you're always healthy, okay, one day we will be here no more. If your hope is in that, that will end. God is saying, bring me any of the things in your life that you think are vastly important, and He will surpass them every single time. He is the most important thing in our lives by a mile, it's not even close. It's me playing Justin close and spike ball, which is not close. God is so much greater, so much better. So, so does it show in our lives, do we know who our Heavenly Father is? Do we know Him well enough to show that we need no other gods, that there's no other gods out there? Can we make that statement in our lives, I know God well enough, not perfect, because you'll never, you'll never know God perfectly. Do we know God well enough to recognize that everything else is fruitless? Everything else is pointless in compared to the surpassing knowledge of who he is. Can we be that little kid who looks up at his father and knows for certain, that is my dad. And I know he will never lead me astray. Or are are some of us here maybe thinking, have I gotten into the car with the wrong God? Do I not actually recognize God well enough? Is my theology taking a turn and my doxology is also taking a turn? Do I actually know who God is rightly and is my praise of him accurate? Am I living the reality of who God has called me being royals? Do we live in light of that? I'm going to pray. Um, and then I think, worship team.